Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Episode of Purple Insider, the morning after a 42-3 loss by the Minnesota Vikings. Matthew Collar along with Brian Murphy. Now, Brian, when you say ride the wave, what that means sometimes is that the wave crashes. <laughs> now, it didn't crash in the playoffs. So there's that, but it did come crashing down on a national TV game where Tony Romo and Jim Nance are in the building and the eyes of the nation were on the Minnesota Vikings after their big win in Buffalo last week and after they had received a lot of the attention and hype. So as the, I don't know, what do you want to be? You want to be the sort of the, the prince of the team of destiny or whatever you've been so far. That's been your uh, angle that you've been buying into this team all season long. And if it had been a seven point loss, I wouldn't have come on and asked how you're feeling. I would have said, well, you know, they were going to lose one eventually, but uh, 43 Murph, how are you feeling? Uh, bewildered, betrayed, uh, vengeful. Uh, the knives are coming out. It was all a fraud. I'm a fraud. No, I, I, um, they were going to be humbled. Uh, I thought they would have been humbled in Buffalo. And I, I had been thinking as we had been building up to this three game stretch in November, I had been thinking that, you know, if they could, if they could go into Buffalo and be respectful and come out, you know, within a one score game as they typically play, not a moral victory, no such thing in the NFL, but I thought it would have been fine for their, their psyche, their development, their flow, the wave as it were. Well, then it became the whole Josh Allen thing is like, well, maybe it's possible. And then it was the game of the millennium that we'll never see again. So I, you know, if they, if they got out of Buffalo without getting their doors blown off, I thought that would have been a, a solid effort. I never expected to have to have them get their doors blown off at us bank stadium the way they did. Cause I, you know, again, I'm not following the league as much as I used to, but I didn't think Dallas, I mean, the Dallas is, you know, perennially overrated and uh, nauseously overrated because of how the media builds that team up. And they had just kind of really, you know, stepped on themselves last week at Lambeau field and have, you know, after green Bay, you know, laid down again on Thursday night, I thought, well, that kind of delegitimizes Dallas almost even a little bit more. Um, Vegas odds makers had the Vikings at what a point and a half underdog and people were losing their minds this uh, this is definitely a reset button. Um, I I think it's probably a good thing that they're actually playing Thursday night. I don't think they can marinate very long in this misery. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how Kevin O'Connell handles the next four days and the Thursday night matchup against the Zen Master because, you know, I've been saying all along, 
They haven't been tested with adversity yet. Well, they are now. And the adversity isn't so much that they're a bad football team. Look, they're eight and two. The adversity is every flaw that was just sort of lingering out there that we all knew about was exposed exponentially yesterday uh, by a team that found a way to expose it and really stole their lunch money at home and all of those cliches. So, you know, New England, I'm not sure what kind of team they are. They're six and four. I don't know what that even says, but I do know that, you know, a rookie head coach coming off his worst loss going up against Bill Belichick and his six rings on a tight turnaround, there's your adversity. So let's see how they respond. Yeah. And, um, also a game that you still feel like you should win because the Patriots offense scored three points and the gift that keeps on giving Matt Patricia is in charge of their offense, probably the worst coach in the entire national football league of any kind. And yet somehow the man, certainly the worst dressed. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, but it goes from a defensive coordinator who gets smoked by Nick Foles in, in the Super Bowl to a horrific coach that shreds the entire Lions organization from stability that it had under Jim Caldwell to now somehow being the offensive coordinator. And we'll talk more about this as we go on. But like, this is a game you should still win. Like, th- there's no excuse for not winning you should be a better team your record is much better their quarterback is playing horrendously their offense has no idea what they're doing but the the double-edged sword to that quick turnaround because that was the silver lining that they were going with last night really to a man every player was saying well good thing we get right back out there good thing we get right back out there and there's truth to that for the mentality of the team like well we get to put it in the past we don't have to watch the tape of it over and over again for the entire week and then just be sad about getting destroyed by the Dallas Cowboys at the same time the injury part of this is a big deal for what happened I mean Christian Derrissaw was clearly not at 100% really from the very beginning I mean that that first even the first sack that he gives up to Micah Parsons which you know was Kirk maybe not just taking the sack or not throwing the ball away or and, and trying to escape which is not really his thing uh, but normally Christian Derrissaw drives that guy all the way you know, and, and sticks that guy. And instead he kind of took the initial contact and then Parsons got right by him. And then he gave up a sack to somebody I'd never heard of. And they're like, okay, this is not the Christian Derrissaw that's played all year. And that's when they took him out of the game. So the, the concussion thing is hard to know. I mean, if he passed the protocol, what else can we say? But at the same time, I think we do need to be critical of teams who put players back and okay. So Tua Stafford, and Derrissaw now are three glaring examples of guys who have passed the protocol, then played, and instantly got concussed again the next game. Do we need to think about this a little bit deeper next time? Probably. Uh, but Derrissaw is not going to play, so that's a problem. And then you look at Delvin Tomlinson's been out, and what happened? They ran all over them, 150 yards running, and Dallas could do whatever they wanted on the ground, really from the very beginning of the game. Well, that's there's only so many times you could play your backups in the in the defensive line and not have one of the better defensive tackles in the league, right? So if he's not able to come back in four days, uh, Zadarius Smith only played like 40 snaps, which wasn't just because of the situation. I mean, he was not out there in some key spots because he's having this knee issue and he was questionable. There's no real time to heal, Murph, and I think that that's 
that's maybe my biggest um, like concern about this short turnaround is you don't have that entire week to try to get some guys healthy. And Andrew Booth Jr. is just not ready to play in the NFL at this point, I think, from what we saw. So they're going to run out a very battered group as they go against New England. Yeah, and we'd been mentioning that in September and October as well as, as all the um... – you know, the horseshoes kept raining down, the golden horseshoes of luck and good fortune down. Injuries was a main main component of that. They did not suffer serious injuries. Um, these, you know, Derrissaw's injury does is going to be problematic because I think it's going to get scrutinized more, as you, as you said. I mean, he was clearly not himself on those initial couple of drives, and now he's back in the protocol. He may be sidelined longer term than we, we think. And then let's say he comes back in three weeks, you know, he's one head slap, one collapse pocket pileup from, you know, not being himself for a long time. He was their best offensive lineman this season. He is the left tackle. These are big, big losses. Uh, as you mentioned, Tomlinson as well has been lingering. Uh, Zadarius Smith banged up. These are kind of the, the, you know, playing in the National Football League, 17 games, you're not going to go unscathed. So these things are starting to add up a little bit. Um, they were dominated on the line of scrimmage yesterday on both sides all day long, all day long. And Dallas smelled blood and they took advantage. Well, first of all, look, Dallas is the, 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 one of the best defenses in the league. And I think they had, they have the best pass rush in the league. And that was no secret coming into it. So the fact that they, the Vikings wanted to go the old, we're going to establish the run because the Packers have been able to, were able to run on the Cowboys and the Cowboys have been soft against the run. Dalvin had a big game in, in Buffalo. We can roll Kirk out a little bit, buy some time. Well, it all collapsed anyway, because at times Dallas didn't even really blitz at all. They didn't need to. So they, they had Kirk kind of playing the guessing game of what, it, this isn't the coverage I thought I was going to get. Now I'm scrambling and I'm not fast. This isn't my forte. A uh, couple of three and outs, and before, you know, you could say, well, you know, three and outs, they get, you know, they can catch their breath, make a few adjustments, figure out what may work today. That's worked in the past this season. Falling behind seven, 10, 13, 17 points. Okay, they did fall behind 17 last week in Buffalo. This is their MO. We know how the, the Vikings operate. This is nothing new for them, but it didn't end. It just kept piling on and pi- I mean the deficit went from three to 30 in a hurry I thought the game essentially was over just before halftime when the Cowboys kicker made two 60 yard field goals in a row in fact his second one was even better than the first attempt I think it cleared the crossbar by five yards and was dead center and I thought they're done there's no way they're coming back from this if that's if that's how the you know 30 seconds left Dallas doesn't just say hey we got to we got a 17-point lead here. Let's just uh, drop to a knee and take take this momentum into the, the locker room. No, we're going to dial up a couple of pass plays. You know, C.J. Lamb makes an outstanding toe-tapping catch on the sideline. And, now, you know, again, the NFL almost ready to hand the Vikings a big break out of nowhere uh, with a late review. No, doesn't happen. Dallas kicker's money again, and I thought – yeah, this is a little bit uh, – this is it in a nutshell. And then, again, the the, the first drive out of the shoot um, in the second half because the Vikings took the ball in the first, uh, you know, Tony Pollard's wide open down the near sideline. And 
you know, there were just daggers everywhere. And, and, and then it becomes the funeral march in the second half. And then the, the, the home, the Dallas fans take over. So certainly a, uh, an epic butt whipping, the worst, I think, certainly since the early 60s for the Vikings at home. Plenty, plenty to pick over. Um, but as you mentioned, this, you know, New England and, and the Jets played a game that probably was only televised in their home markets. Hopefully nobody else had to get exposed to that 3-3 mess to the very end. But I I don't know. I want to see how I, I want to see how uh, O'Connell really uh, lifts his team off the canvas and gets them prepared to win a game they should win. Because if you do that, then you say, look, we came out of this three-game stretch with two victories and we're at nine and two. And I crunched the numbers, which I rarely do on a Monday morning, but I believe the collective record of their remaining schedule is like 34, 38, and one, including four out of five at home. So put the tourniquet on, live to fight another day, and I think you're in a decent position here. Uh, This is all a mental game right now, all a mental game. And uh, they've got a veteran crew. Uh, You can preach – the quick turnaround all you want, but you really, really do need to, to stop this in a hurry. And it's another national television audience that's going to tune in to see, are the Vikings frauds or are they for real? Uh, You know, you mentioned the, how the sort of construction of this destruction happened. And I got a question this morning on Twitter about just like why we focused a lot of the post-game podcast on how, the offense was problematic. It's because that we always know and have known that if this defense has to play a great offense, they are going to have to either get turnovers or they're going to give up a lot of points, not against Washington or, you know, Arizona even is not a great offense or when they played Chicago, they weren't a great offense, but Dallas, they've got a $40 million quarterback and they've got superstars. They have a good offensive line. Like you, you were going to have to score to beat them. And that end of the first half is a great situation to highlight because this is when you really knew it just was not going to happen. It was different. Like they weren't going to be able to pull off some of the stuff that they have earlier this year because Kevin O'Connell, I think smartly knowing that Dallas was getting the ball back called timeouts And so then he gives his offense plenty of time to go down and there's a completion to Justin Jefferson, like, okay, now you're rolling. And then the pass rush again, just takes them apart. Like, Nope, Nope. You're not rolling. You're not going anywhere. So then they have to give the ball back and Dallas goes and scores again. It's just that, you know, I mean, when you punt five, six, seven times in a row, you won't win any game against anybody and your defense, if it's not, unbelievable is going to get exposed against the good offense. If that's how you look, I mean, if they were able to sustain drives and have success, they're not giving up 40 points in that game. And the other teams are going to make plays against you. This has never been a defense that was just going to shut everybody out. It was always going to be a defense that needed some big plays themselves, but was going to give up points and you'd have to win with offense. And coming out of Buffalo, that was the thing that I said I was the most impressed by. And then it immediately that spigot shut off. But like the thing I was most impressed by is 
They gave up a lot of points. Stefan Diggs had a huge day against them, and they still found a way to win with their offense, that their offense could turn up the heat and go score a bunch of points and have some great drives in that game. But they were not able to do that against a great Dallas defense at all. They weren't able to move the ball. And I think what's really central to that is Derisaw not being himself and then getting hurt, where there's a reason why the league pays left tackles like their wide receivers or like their edge rushers, because these gentlemen are pretty darn important and he's had an incredible year. So there's, there's a part of me that says like, well, yeah, there's what they have still, even with some injuries, you should, like you said, like this schedule is still pretty favorable and there's winnable games. Are you afraid of Zach Wilson right now? Like, I don't think so. Uh, And he's coming up. Are you afraid of the giants? Like these are even teams with some of the better records. No, you're not afraid of the New York giants. They're, they were talk about a paper tiger, right? But if you have a bad loss mixed in here, then you start going like, okay, do we have an offense? Right? Like, I mean, this next team has, the best defensive EPA in the league. They have the number one sack artist in Matthew Judon in the entire league. And they just embarrassed the team. uh, Their defense did uh, in the New York jets. I mean, yeah, I think you talk about like tests, good tests. Yeah. This is certainly a good test for them to see if they can figure out what the heck just happened. Because if you play offensively like that, which is not that different from how they played in Washington two weeks ago, by the way, and not that differently from how they played in the first half in Buffalo, by the way. So we're kind of going on like three weeks with the only difference being the fourth quarter in overtime uh, in Buffalo where their offense was really operating at a super high level. And if it carries over into these next two weeks, then you do have to look and be like, okay, I know that they're still running away with the North, but if they don't have an offense – that can consistently score and especially can't score against the really good defense, then you can't have a whole lot of confidence in them week to week down the stretch because you, you just not, you don't have enough firepower. Well, I think what has bailed them out consistently this season as well on both sides of the ball are big plays in big moments. And there were none of those yesterday. And I don't even know if they even had the opportunity to, it just felt like Dallas was so relentless in their domination that they really, really did not even give the Vikings a glimmer of hope. You know, if, if, if I, I, I think I said it the, the last week too, is I, I thought the biggest play in the Buffalo game was Dalvin cook's 81 yard touchdown run, because at that point they're down 27 to 10 in the third quarter and really hadn't done anything. And Josh Allen had taken over the game and the bills had taken over the game and doing what we probably thought Buffalo should have done. But then all of a sudden, Dalvin Cook's in the end zone after 81 yards. Um, Patrick Peterson's picking off Josh Allen in the end zone. Um, They kept going to Jefferson, who's making otherworldly plays. Well, they couldn't get to Jefferson yesterday because Dallas was all over Kirk Cousins in the pocket. All the routes that they had developed, I think O'Connell even said that, all the routes that they had developed for the day, they could not get, he could not get through his progressions because he was either running for his life or getting caved in. So there, and, and then on the defensive side of the ball, the running attack really, really softened up the Vikings to the point where the, there wasn't a play to be made in the defensive backfield because Dallas didn't have to go for the big splash plays. Um, I didn't really even watch a ton of the second half, but to me, the best catch of the day 
is slam on the sideline to set up the 60-yard field goal. Beyond that, it was Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott doing what he can with his legs as well. There just wasn't a moment there. You know, if 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 Prescott had thrown a poor pass that Peterson and or, say, Harrison Smith stepped in front of, if uh, Elliott had fumbled in the red zone, um, again, you, you can't be expecting other teams to make mistakes to breathe life into you. However, that's how the Vikings have succeeded so much this year is that those key plays have happened at big moments, none bigger than Josh Allen fumbling in the end zone, uh, you know, inside a minute. So those plays were not made, but I don't even remember an opportunity where they could have been made. So that exposes you as a long, you know, as a, are you a 60 minute team or are you a 33 minute team that has occasional moments of brilliance? Um, Now you're starting to look back on that and you're realizing that's what, has dictated their success in so many ways. So, you know, you got to look at it this way too. They've got two losses, right? Two losses to the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys, who essentially, if you're going to make the playoffs, you're going to play one, if not both of those teams probably. So there is a blueprint for defeating the Vikings, and there is a challenge ahead of, you know, the week two loss in Philly was almost, again, it it was pretty thorough, but it was easily chalked up as, well, you dominated Green Bay in week one. You lose at home on national or you lose on the road to Philadelphia, which is, you know, considered the preeminent team in the NFC. And then you rip off seven straight wins. It's easy to say, well, you know, we're, they're, they're doing just fine. Now Dallas comes in and says, hold on there. We, we've got something to say as well. And we're angry because, you know, we choked at, at Lambeau last week. So, it's it's again you know everything has been exposed you know there's no secrets here the vikings are who they are everybody knows that so it's how are they going to be able to manage expectations and performance going ahead and that's why i think it's enjoyable to watch i've been waiting for a bit of adversity i've been waiting for them to to pick themselves up off the canvas and see how they respond and i'm in particular interested to see how kevin o'connell handles this cuz again he's a rookie head coach the the guys love him they're playing for him but now they're looking to, for him to, you know, it, it, they, they want them to be dad and tell them it's going to be all right. And they have to believe that. So let's see, because now they're going up against the old man wizard who's made a career of doing that and at least getting his team prepared to play a unique opponent and been able to match any personnel, confidence, or schematic challenges in front of him for so long. Now O'Connell's got that first big chess ma- mental and schematic chess match to succeed in. Folks, maybe you've noticed people in your office with what looks like an open tall boy at their desk in the morning at work. Well, it's not a beer. It's more likely it's a can of liquid death, which sounds pretty crazy at first, but it's simply mountain water from the Alps. It's called liquid death because it will murder your thirst and kill plastic pollution, which does seem aggressive, but that's their mission, and they are donating 10% of profits to help reduce plastic pollution. The problem is that plastic water bottles often aren't recyclable because they're not profitable to recycle 
Whereas aluminum cans can be turned into profit. Liquid Death sent me some cases and their water and their sparkling lime are both delicious. And maybe I'll have to start pounding them in front of my friends who know I'm not a drinker just to see their reactions. So go get Liquid Death at your local Target, Whole Foods Market, or Hy-Vee or find a Liquid Death retailer near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com insider. That's liquiddeath.com insider. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Well, I think um, O'Connell has more older brother or cool uncle vibes than he has uh, dad vibes. Uh, if if Zimmer was Grandpa Zim, then uh, I think O'Connell's like your wise older brother who's been around. But I thought that uh, Kevin O'Connell deserves and and look, I mean, you know, where this is like a, a participation trophy for you know being in a press conference, but like deserves an A for the way that he handled the press conference because Philadelphia, there were enough chances for the Vikings to win that game that they could walk out and say like, well, you know, we lost 24 to seven, but we were in the red zone multiple times and through interceptions. And like the second half, we moved the football and so forth. Like they could really talk yourself into, it wasn't that bad in Philadelphia there's no talking yourself into it wasn't that bad when you lose 40 to three and, and when you, it's just never close. And uh, he came out last night and he took responsibility for it, which wasn't always what we saw in the past. And he did not seem panicked, but he seemed stern and frustrated, uh, answered all the questions, which was, you know, problematic in the past, I think. And if you're players now, look, we could talk about veterans all the, the, the way and how like, oh, they've been through it and everything else. Everybody follows the leader in football. And so I think what you didn't see was panic in Kevin O'Connell that during Mike Zimmer's era, it was one of the things I was maybe most critical about was. People will say, oh, who cares about press conferences? Like, oh, no, every, everyone's watching it. Every player sees what's said. It, you know, every family watches that post-game press conference. Like, everybody knows. So when you go up there and you kind of show more of a steady hand of like, like, this wasn't acceptable, this was bad, and here's all the things that went wrong. However, like, we believe in this team and everything. Else. Like, he had the right message, I think, and 
they went they went hard on the we're going to get right back out there and we're going to prove who we really are and everything else. I think that was the right way to go. Um, I was sort of reminded of Philadelphia in 2016 when the Vikings started five and zero and got their first loss, and Mike Zimmer immediately called the offensive line soft, and that just like created a problem that what it wasn't there. Like the biggest thing with these press conferences when things go really wrong is don't create another problem because you've already got some problems to solve since you got beat this badly. And I thought O'Connell did a tremendous job um, of doing that, of, of not creating another problem, not manipulating anybody, not pinning it on anybody. I mean, he did say, look, uh, there's not a whole lot of options on that offensive line. And we tried helping the inside and then the outside got beat. We tried helping the outside and the inside got beat. So there was a little a little pang of I was out there trying everything, but they were just beating us on the offensive line. Um, but he didn't directly come out and say, uh, yeah, there's five large gentlemen who really let us down today. Um, he didn't he didn't come out and say something like that. So I think it is kind of they can get back to work without the additional distraction of their head coach freaking out. And again, like when you, if you watch enough press conferences around the league with these embarrassing losses and things like that, which do happen every week. Um, you'll see a lot of coaches step on their own feet. And I think that just his maturity as a head coach has been impressive. But now where he has to really handle himself, Murph, is schematically. You can't send everyone 15 yards down the field when Micah Parsons plays for the other team. It is that simple. You need some other answer. And they did not have some other answer. They thought that the answer was just running the football, which I believe at one time Delvin was like eight for 48. It wasn't that they couldn't really run. It was that you weren't, you you weren't succeeding at all every time you dropped back. So then it was like, okay, now we're not even scared if Delvin runs and so forth. Um, and, and it seemed like they just had no answer. There has to be a, now this where I, I would give John D. Filippo some credit for this, even though he was not a good offensive coordinator for the Vikings in 2018, it was a similar offensive line that would get beat just almost instantly. And, and he had a lot of answers early in that season with quick passing like screen passes and, and, and swing passes and things like that, quick slants that they used a ton. O'Connell's got to go into the quick game because asking these guys to run 15, 20 yards down the field on every play without Darisaw in there and you already have enough problems on the interior, I think he has to make a pretty significant change and find a way to hit a darn screen pass at some point. Like I think that we can look at O'Connell and his leadership and be impressed, but also look at the scheme and be like, is that you got you got something for this? Like, you know, and I, I that's that's going to be really the biggest test over the next couple of weeks because they play two of the best defenses in the league here in, in New England and the New York Jets. Well, not even two uh, two weeks. They're going to have one official practice this week, right before you know Thursday's game. So yeah, if you're going to do that, then you're going to it's going to be a crash course. And you know, he gave him a light walkthrough on Wednesday, which was probably the right thing to do after that emotionally draining game in Buffalo. But now it's it's like we got to get back to work. And, you know, you talk about, uh, yeah, Cook did have some production, but, you know, if you're down 20 to three, I don't know what establishing the run's going to do other than bleed the clock out so you can lose 20 to 10 uh, for the most part. So I, I don't know the, the answer to the schematic issues. Uh, if if there is a way to, to free up, I, I think what got, there was nothing that worked yesterday because they were so, dominant dominated on both sides of the ball quickly 
that there just wasn't, it just felt like there was no opportunity to breathe throughout that first half. There was just no moment where something was righted. Um, from the, you know, even on the initial third and three, when Darius, you know, when, when Cousins got strip sacked on the third play of the game in the red zone, and yeah, okay, the de- defense stiffened a bit and they held him to a field goal, but then you go down the field and, you know, Hawkinson can't make the catch and it's three to three. It still felt like a very bitter tasting three to three. And then before you could even process that, it was 20 to three. So I, 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 it, it's going to be a mental challenge. As you mentioned, though, the schematic uh, changes they're going to have to stitch together and convince. Um, what's the young man's name? Blake, uh, who, who filled Blake in? Randall, for, yeah. Yeah, Blake Blake, yeah. You know, what, where is his head at this week? Uh, I'm curious what he feels like right now because I'm sure the weight of the world may be on his shoulders. Was he a sixth round pick? I mean, uh, this is, uh, this is your moment, dude. Uh, don't get your quarterback killed. Maybe nobody's asking you to be a savior, but just don't get him killed. Uh, how is he going to respond to that? That'll be an interesting uh, one-on-one thing to focus on. They're probably going to give him a ton of help. Uh, if anything, Dalvin Cook looks like he can block, so they they might be able to use him in the backfield a little bit. To, yeah, or just shaky. He made a as, really as running backs can block. Uh, he at least is, seems willing. <laughs> There's not he doesn't have a, a matador's suit on and a red cape, uh, letting the bull come through. Usually, I'm trying to give him some credit here, Collar. Give me something. You know, I follow the numbers. He's given up more pressures than anybody in the league is running back. So I just oh, then never sorry. mind what I just said. He made a great play in Buffalo. That was yeah, really and that's memorable. what I'm looking at. So yep. I, you know, yep, that a lot of people right. tweeted about. I, and everything that, else. I, this is this is the mistake I made when I come down from my forty thousand foot perch and get into the weeds with you football guys and think I know what I'm talking about. You shouldn't be surprised. I'm going back up to the perch, back up to the balcony with my rotten fruit, and I'm just going to keep shooting the wounded from there. Thanks. (laughs) You you should not be shocked that I knew how many pressures the running back gave up in pass protection um, off the top of my head because I saw people tweeting about it and I was like, I don't think that's actually right. Um, And so if you compare Adrian Peterson as a pass blocker to Delvin cook, Peterson is better. uh, Really? Historically by, by PFF grade. Yeah, he's better. Okay. Um, Uh, Again, I take, I'm, I'm not coming. I'm not swooping down again and talking football. In you know, and and at the end of his career, Peterson was not caring at all. But at his peak, he was uh, he wasn't asked to do it a ton, which is you know maybe a benefit. But um, it just tells you how hard it is to like analyze something like that, and how perception is probably going to rule the day when something like that. Like Peterson wasn't great at it, but Delvin isn't great at it either. In fact, most running backs aren't great at it. If what someone is, wine saucer up these days, up to these days. What's that? Oh, Klein Saucer are up to these days. Well, and look, this might have DJ Ham. (laughs) This might have to be the answer because you know I've always sort of leaned on the side of Gary Kubiak was not a fool. Gary Kubiak's one of the best offensive coaches in history, and I think there was a reason why he wanted two tight ends and a fullback out there on the field. I don't think it's because he got his jollies off. I think it's because he knew that they needed extra help blocking. And I was thinking of a game in Houston in the 2020, where or was it 20? Yeah, 2020, where they after the uh, the after the game they fired Bill O'Brien, um, where 
the offensive line was getting beaten pretty badly. And what Kubiak dialed up was two tight ends, a fullback, and they ran two guys out on routes a bunch of times and had Kirk throw down the field. And it worked for them in that game just enough to get a win. And when you go up against, I mean, the Patriots D-line is pretty good. Their coverage is better. But the Jets are going to demolish your offensive line. The Jets have a great defensive line. There needs to be a button to push. There needs to be an answer. And, I, you know, the bootlegs have not necessarily been the answer every time. Um, they, they they just need to find a way like that. That to me is the biggest test because if you can't if you can't find a way, you're not going anywhere in the playoffs. Like that, it's just it's it's that simple because the coaches you'll face, the D lines you'll face, they're going to be good. Folks, if you're looking for a way to celebrate Minnesota's insane football season, go to SodaStick.com. See all the different designs from Kirko chains to the gritty to everything skull related. SodaStick, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com and use the code PURPLEINSIDER for 15% off your purchase. Well, and I don't, and, and I want to pivot a little bit because I don't think we've talked much about Jefferson um, as well. And, you know, look, he's never going to, he's not going to have 200 yards every game and he's not going to make, you know, documentary style catches every week. Um, but was this a product of him not, Kirk not having time to find him? Or did Dallas, you know, look, Buffalo draped him and it didn't matter. Did Dallas have an answer that that could be a cure for for other teams? And, you know, if not, if it if it is just a pass, if if it's a pocket collapsing, if it's um, a pressure issue and a protection issue, um, then I don't feel too leery about that. But I don't I don't want to single out Jefferson. But to go from the week he had in Buffalo and the whole world's talking about him to not even being a footnote yesterday, how, how did that happen? Did you see them trying to get the ball to him early on and establish that, or? Was it we're going to run, we're going to run to buy time and set up the pass? Yeah, I think they wanted to try to take advantage of Dallas's aggressiveness and run the football, which I would agree with. Like, I think that's probably the right way to go about it, and especially based on what Green Bay did to them. Um, but the pressure was just too much. You get sacked seven times, you're not going to win a game. Like, it's really that simple. You're not going to get it to your number one star if you get sacked seven times. Uh, I would I would love to see the numbers of how often a team won when their quarterback was sacked seven times. My guess is maybe maybe Joe Burrow did it once, but I, I can't imagine that's happened too many times. So I think that it was entirely that uh, they were sending Jefferson down the field. They've been kind of of the ethos recently that like, hey, we're going to push it down the field. We're going to throw jump balls to Justin Jefferson. We're going to have him run a lot of deep routes, which I agree with. But there's got to be an adjustment there to like, okay, now you're Cooper cup. Like now you're going to go. And I know that's hard. There's not, like, it's not that simple, but okay. We're getting beaten every single time. We need to get him the football somehow. It needs to be a screen. It needs to be an underneath route. It needs to be something to just like take one step and throw the ball. Uh, and there, I mean, how many times was he able to do that? Um, very few, I think just snap the ball, catch it, get rid of it. Uh, there wasn't a lot of that. And that's not really the offense. I mean, O'Connell aims for big plays, but I think there just needs to be something that he kind of looks in the mirror a little bit and says, how can I get those quick passes going? And I wouldn't be surprised if he does, um, you know, against the Patriots. So uh, let me ask you this question then, Murph, to wrap up. Uh, Let's say that your confidence meter of this uh, 2022 Vikings team after last week was was beaming. 
let's say it was a 10 out of 10. How far is it knocked off of the pedestal this morning? I'll keep it at an eight. I'll keep them at a B minus to B range. And, and I'm being, I'm probably being overly generous, but um, I, I, I've been talking for, we've been talking about this for weeks, this three game stretch in November, when will O'Connell be challenged mentally and schematically confidence wise? I thought it might've been drip, drip, drip. I thought it might've been in Buffalo. It wasn't in Buffalo. In fact, if anything, their confidence went through the roof, obviously last week, and they were part of the national conversation for a long time last week. Okay. Now it's a little bit of the opposite. Now you've got, you know, you've got a, You've got a small window here to change maybe slightly a bit of your offensive identity, uh, whitewash a miserable home loss, and turn it around quickly uh, against a tough defensive team and the math, the Zen master and Belichick and on a national television audience. We haven't even talked about the fact that's the first time the Vikings have ever hosted a Thanksgiving game. And they played several times over the years in Detroit and Dallas, but they've never hosted one. So this is a unique time as well for boy. If you ever want to redeem yourselves in front of your, your fans, your God and your country uh, Thursday night offers that. So um, let's see how they respond because uh, <laughs> there's going to be some serious doubters at the gate if if they get humbled again at home. And now you're looking at okay, I don't care what the record says. Now they're then now they're now they're fragile psychologically, and <laughs> and does it become a can they just get to nine or ten wins and get in, or is this going to be a complete and utter collapse? And it gives all the naysayers and the insecure out there in Vikings Nation, which is basically saying Vikings Nation, uh, the chance to inevitably say, see, now they made us sit all day and with our families on Thursday, and this is what they treat us to? I'm done with this team. So I don't know. It'll be fun to, to watch the emotional wave uh, go up and down again as, as you started it off with the, the crashing of the wave. Yes, uh, the wave, wave has crashed. We don't know where the surfer is. The board is halfway to Australia. <laughs> I still think the surfer is going to surface. I don't know what he's going to look like, and I don't know if he's going to be half brain dead, but he is going to surface. Yeah, Bodie from Point Break is. Uh, I was going to go down that road. Yes, yeah, that was that is was. He, uh, is, did Bodie live? Everybody that saw Point Break thinks Bodie lived. What? <laughs> that's the whole point. I that's know he went out the way he wanted to go out. He's not coming back. I mean, it's one of the greatest lines in movie history to to me. <laughs> I don't. Movie buffs might disagree, but when Keanu Reeves says he's not coming back, like I felt that. Uh, so yeah, that was that was the hundred year storm last night. <laughs> that's for sure. Uh, well, here's what they say, Murph. They say it's a week to week league, but in this case, it's a week to a half a week league. And if they go out against the Patriots and get a decided win, then this is left in the past as a blip on the radar. And so they have that opportunity and they're still in a tremendous spot. They've really given themselves as big of a cushion as you could ever, uh, give they're yourself. Eight and so, two. Have we mentioned right. that? <laughs> right. And, and, and had it not been 40 to three, then everyone would have woken up and been like, well, on to the next one. I mean, that's, that's what that would have been the reaction. But the, you, I mean, with that, you have to view it differently. With yeah. the accumulation of all the points that you've put up, the opponents have more than you uh, on this uh, Monday morning. I mean, that's that's something you have to like 
use an eyeball emoji about. Uh, anyway, so uh, great stuff, Murph, as always. And Ryan, I'm looking forward to a very special edition of Monday Morning Murph on Friday. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Friday morning, Murph. I didn't even think about that. Two Murphs in one week. Uh, that's that's intensity you won't find elsewhere. Uh, thank you, Murph, for your time. Great stuff. And we will talk Friday. Sounds good.